Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is Mo Fathalab, the president of Forum Resources, author of The Friendship Advantage, and co-founder of the Harvard Business School Alumni Forums. Mo, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Pleasure to be with you, Kevin. So, Mo, just out of curiosity, I am very jealous of the job that you have. How does one come into this role um, and being a, a forum moderator for for a living? Tell us how you kind of got into this journey. Well, I could go back to, you know, my grandmother. And as a little kid, she would drag me around and I would sit with her and all the old ladies of the country club and just listen. And uh, it turns out listening is one of these things that's uh, pretty rare to come by today. And uh Often listening is, is the biggest thing we could do to have people feel heard, supported, understood. But uh, let me answer your question at a more practical level. So um, when I was in, uh, uh, in school, University of Maryland, I took an entrepreneurship course. And the founder of the entrepreneur's organization happened to be my teacher. And honestly, he was the best teacher I ever had. And uh, it turns out he thought I was the best student that he ever had. And when I went to thank him after I got my A in the class, as I had just graduated, he asked me if anybody would like to be his associate director, if I knew anybody who would like to be his associate director. And I said, well, yeah, me. Um, So I started working uh, at the entrepreneurs organization. And back then, members had to be under 30 and have a million dollar business. And so you could imagine, it was a very impressive uh, cohort of people. I mean, the founding board members were people like, um, you know, Neil Balter, California Closet Company, Julie Bryce, if I can't believe it's yogurt, Ted Leonsis, who today is, you know, obviously well known as one of the owners of sports teams in DC uh, and former uh, vice chair of AOL. Uh, and the list goes on. So as I was in this classroom, Vern would always talk about all these impressive people and the trips they would do to China and Japan and as a college kid, my eyes were just, you know, wide open and, uh, and I was totally impressed. So long story short is he hires me. And within a year, um, we started to form an alliance with uh, Young Presidents Organization, YPO. And their most uh, popular membership benefit was this thing called Forum, which is a group of eight to 10 people that meet every month in a confidential structured environment to help each other with life issues, whether it's business or personal. So I attended one of these uh, trainings in 1991, and it just it just blew my mind. And um, I decided to make it a part of my job and launched a few hundred groups for the organization in in 30 different countries. And then in 97, I decided to make it my business. And that's when we started Forum Resources uh, Network. And a few years later, we started Alumni Forum Services to provide the same kind of program for business school alumni and Harvard Business School being the first client. 
Um, and so that's that's the brief beginning, but obviously I could elaborate. Incredible. Well, well help, help me understand, you know, why do you think it is that so many business owners feel the need to share their feelings in a confidential setting? Well, I think it's not just business owners. I think, I mean, I will answer your question, but I think generally speaking, a lot of people in this world don't have a place where they can have a safe environment to be open and real. And so I don't know about you, but in my family, well, you're, you're, you know, you've been indoctrinated in this YPO stuff your whole life, right? Uh, but in my family, that, that was not part of our world. And so I grew up where I felt often judged um, and often given advice of what other people think I should do with my life. And that didn't sit well with me. I didn't know why, it just didn't sit well with me. And so when I found Forum, I felt like I found solace. I felt like I found, um, you know, a place to really be myself for the first time ever. So as it relates to CEOs, I don't think they're different from anybody in that regard, but I have always heard this adage of CEOs say it's lonely at the top because you can't always talk to your coworkers about what's going on when you're the CEO. And when you go home after working 15 hours, your family just may not want to hear about your workday because they want a father, they want a husband, they want a wife, they want a mother. They don't want somebody who just is going to keep talking about work, 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 work. And so having this forum to be you, to be real, to get help, to have peers who have been through the same thing tell you what they've done is a gift. It's a gift. And now, Mo, I know confidentiality is, is a huge aspect of these forums, so please don't share any, any names or any companies, but, you know, curious to know um, what the pain point is in terms of what you've experienced from presidents or founders or CEOs who, like you mentioned, are at the top. When it comes to the family dynamic, these are all family people with running family businesses, for the most part, some, some may not. Um, but when it comes to that dynamic, bring, you know, working a hard day and then going back and trying not to bring that into the family household, what have you learned uh, from Foreman? What have you learned to be helpful for business leaders listening to this out there? Yeah. Well, first thing I'll say is it's hard to generalize. And, you know, one of the rules we have in these groups is don't generalize. But I will try to give you some, some of the learnings, some of the examples. Uh, but by no means am I saying that's true for all CEOs and by no means are all the things that I share with you true of all CEOs. So I think that's, that's an important thing. Um, but, you know, sometimes I meet people who are so driven and so used to getting their way and so used to having their employees just do what they want. They go home and that dynamic doesn't work out anymore. You know, you can't just be the boss at home. You have to play the role in the family that that role dictates for being a healthy family. And so that's one thing that I see um, from time to time. Um, something else that I see is um, the, the tension about how much uh, the CEO may be traveling. And, you know, I felt this myself at some point, you know, I was traveling so much um, that, you know, I had status on all these airlines. And I, I, I always say status with the airlines is not status at home, right? Um, and so being gone a lot 
creates a lot of tension and puts a lot of pressure on the family, on the CEO. I think that's another another issue. Um, and even if you're not traveling so much, just the work schedule. How often do CEOs come home, you know, at six o'clock? Well, some do, and it's really impressive when you see it, but sometimes the work just piles on and it's hard. It's hard to have a balanced life. And I would say balance is probably one of the biggest issues that, that I see uh, in working with the forums and with the CEOs. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be committed and successful and really work hard and be home and spend time with their family and make sure you have time to exercise and do everything that life demands. Mo, you're a really positive individual, at least in my two encounters with you. Um, and, and it really just lights up the room and it's contagious. How have you been able to keep uh, a positive mentality after hearing, you know, maybe a lot of doom and gloom all the time? <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, a couple of things. First of all, I, I would say it's not always all doom and gloom in the sense that with the difficulty, there's accomplishment. With the difficulty, there's success. Um, and just because somebody has a challenge, it doesn't mean you know the whole ecosystem or the whole life of that person is a challenge. But I will answer your question and tell you that it's been a lot of work. Um, so you know, during one of my uh, my downtimes, so to speak, I took a course uh, on positive psychology. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. And that course was amazing. I learned so much. Um, so a few things that I've just decided to commit to on a, on a religious basis, so to speak, is exercise being one of them. Um, you know, before this course, I would train for a triathlon and the event would be over and I would stop working out for a few months. Well, it turns out that's not good for my head. Uh, so now I'm committed to working out six days a week, maybe seven. And it's not negotiable. It's on my schedule. I make it happen. I make sure it happens. Another thing from uh, positive psychology is having a practice of gratitude. And so the science has shown that with gratitude um, and practicing it for months, it takes months for this, start, for this to start to work, it rewires your brain and you actually see things differently. And you start to see the wor world in a more positive light. And so I have a motto, and the motto is, life will throw me the, cur the curveballs. I'm going to smile anyway. Because guess what? You get to control how your brain processes. And so often when somebody is in this downward spiral, and it's happened to me, you think you're stuck in it. And you keep working through this issue that's negative, that's haunting you. But the mind, the brain is, can only process one thing at a time. So you could choose what it is that you think about. You could think about this issue that's really bothering you, or you could think about your next vacation to Europe. Hmm. And by making those choices, we can be more positive. Um, back to gratitude, you know, every night I go to bed, my head hits the pillow and I think about my day and all the things for which I'm grateful. Um, I've also been trained, I've trained myself as a result of all this. Whenever something bad or seemingly bad happens, my first reaction is, well, what's the good that I haven't seen that's gonna come as a result of this bad? What's the opportunity? 
And by having that outlook, I think it changes my energy of working on a positive solution, positive outcome versus being stuck in the, in the, in, in the weeds. So let's, let's go pretty narrow into this, this, this topic about being open, having this open mind that can uh, see opportunity where others may not. Um, what I've noticed, and again, I hate, I love how you say do not generalize. It's gonna be tough for me to do this today, but um, what I've noticed, and I will say generally speaking is human beings tend to not be good listeners if something's on their mind. If something is, is you know, contagious and they can't stop thinking about it, it's really important. They kind of get numb. It goes one in, in one ear in ear and out the other. Talk about that shift that I, as a busy business owner with tons of issues on my mind, personal, professional, relational, things are coming up to me in management. All of these problems people are coming to me about, and I need to stay focused on my goals. I can't listen. How do I break out of that spell? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. So one of the other things that was really a powerful practice from positive psychology is meditation and mindfulness. And when we start a forum meeting, we often start with five minutes of meditation or mindfulness. The whole purpose of that is to get stuff out of your head and to get into the present. Because we're all walking into a meeting having just been through 10 calls, whatever traffic, whatever issues happening at work, it's happening to everybody. And so when we get there, let's be intentional. Let's take a few deep breaths and let's get present and know that whatever is really bothering me is one, I'm going to get to get it off my chest, which is a gift of these peer groups. And uh, if I really need help, I'm going to get some great experience from my peers, which is another gift of the peer groups. And if they can't do anything about it, at the very least, after getting it off my chest, I'm going to set it aside and be present and be available for the rest of the members of my group. Uh, but, you know, the short answer is meditation and mindfulness and awareness, awareness, just recognizing that this is happening and being conscious of, do I want to stay in this space or do I want to shift to do something else? Or do I want to just acknowledge to people in my presence that I'm sorry, I'm not 100% right now. It's not you. It's just I'm dealing with some stuff. And in doing so, at least it relieves that pressure from me and doesn't leave the other person feeling like they're treated badly because I was short with them because I've got a million things on my mind. Right, right. And, and we're only human, you know, at the end of the day, we're not gonna be perfect, right? Um, one of the things I struggle with is really being present after work. And so I, I wanna continue mm. to go very narrow into this topic because people listening out there are like, yeah, that's me too. You know, I, yeah. I'm a corporate, um, you know, my girlfriend will be talking to me, we'll be on a walk and she'll say something and I'll, I will zone out and I will be somewhere else. And it's an ongoing joke that really uh, is not okay, I think. Um, how, does, how does someone, um, I guess, when you talk about meditation, what is meditation really doing? Is it just recognizing that you're spacing out? Is it uh, trying to create clarity? What, what does that meditation unlock? 
uh, for the individual. Mm. 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 So um, some of the meditation is just breathing techniques. And in doing that, for example, I had a coach that would start every coaching session with some breathing. And the breathing would be focusing the breath on different parts of the body. And that sounds a little silly because you're like, how am I breathing into my knee? <laughs> and we're not saying the air is going to your knee. But by focusing on different parts of the body, we become focused inward instead of focused outward. And if you think about the stresses that you just described or having just come from work and having things on your mind about work, it's stuff that's outside of you. But when you meditate, you're focusing on what's going on for you inside of you. And that's the internal experience. Um, it also slows down the alpha waves in the brain. And in doing so, it allows us to be more able to tap into our emotions and perhaps some emotional awareness. And so part of the evolution of the peer group work is, is emotional intelligence. And one of the things you learn in the work of emotional intelligence is just owning your emotions, just putting a label on them in and of itself is a huge relief. Mm. To say, I feel anxious is better than to be anxious and not say, I feel anxious. Mm. Right. Embracing all emotions, being okay with these emotions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, gosh, you know, why aren't more people doing this? Why aren't just, you know, why are the CEOs of the organizations just doing it? How do we take this now into businesses? Tell me about your work, what you're doing uh, mm. for, for corporations. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's really um, an uplifting conversation for me because up until, gosh, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, most of my work in this regard has been with CEOs exclusively. And I would say over 20,000 of them conservatively. Um, and some of them would say, hey, you know, can you come do some work for my company? I want to get my team together. I want to get my team connected. I want to get my team to have some difficult conversations in a healthy way. And, and all that is wonderful work and still meaningful. And it's still an adaptation of the work we do in, in the forums. But what happened just before the pandemic, which was really uh, incredibly powerful, is a little company, you may have heard of it, it's called Google. Uh, knocked on our door, and they said, we want to start peer groups for our underrepresented minorities in one of our divisions. And we started uh, nine groups the first year. We started five more the second year. And I was hesitant as to how much I thought it was going to be effective because they had one request that was very unusual, and that was, we're going to do this virtually. So my entire career, every forum meeting had been in person. And just before the pandemic, imagine the stroke of luck here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Google says we want to do this and we want it to be virtual. So that's been an incredible, incredible um, experience for me. And a couple of things I think have made it so powerful for these groups, in spite of the fact that they're virtual, they were able to connect at deep, meaningful levels, just like the groups that meet in person. And I think two reasons. Um, one, the pandemic. If you think about how the pandemic affected us with the social distancing movement, everybody was not going to the office. I mean, Google's offices were closed for two years. 
And on top of that, many people were scared and isolated and just staying home. They're like, I'm not leaving the house. And if you remember, there was a period of time where people didn't see their own parents because they were afraid to get them sick. So the result of that is essentially isolation. And as human beings, we're not made to be isolated. So that was one factor that I think enabled these groups to connect very quickly at a very meaningful level. The second thing is the George Floyd murder and the resulting Black Lives Matter movement. So again, I mentioned these people were mostly underrepresented minorities and you know, the amount of pain that they felt as all these um, situations were unfolding before us on TV um, also was something that needed an outlet. And so these groups became an outlet for all sorts of issues, um, you know, professional, personal, but because of the backdrop of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, they really got deep and connected very quickly. And it was a very meaningful experience uh, for them. And, you know, I, I, it was so gratifying for me because having done this primarily with CEOs to see another application for it. Because the other thing that became obvious is the culture of these groups was such that many people would say, I want this culture in the company. And I'm not just talking about Google now because we've since done this with many companies. But in a forum group, you learn to be vulnerable. You learn to be transparent. You learn to be open. You learn the importance of confidentiality. You learn the importance of direct communication and not talking about people, but talking to them and having a language and a facility to clear the air when something isn't good. And so all these powerful lessons that these peer groups learn in the corporate setting permeate into, hey, why doesn't the culture look like this in the company? And how can we make it so that it does transform the culture in the company versus having this just be a peer group experience? Um, and then it also provides perpetual team building. So imagine you're meeting with a peer group of coworkers once a month. You have a much better relationship with these people than you would if you didn't have that opportunity and you just went on a retreat once a year if you're lucky. It, it makes a lot of sense, especially in today's culture. You know, you have activists who are out there and then they're going into work on Monday and putting on a mask and not being able to talk about these things. So by creating a, you know, a confidential setting where people are feel okay to speak about, you know, these issues, uh, to get help with it, share their frustrations, I could really see that unlocking productivity in the, work, in the workplace as well as, you know, we all know, um, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, That's right. And let's not forget, they actually help each other with business issues also. <laughs> you know, so I don't know how to do this. How do you guys do it? And so I'm not saying that, uh, you know, they only discussed the former issues. I'm just saying those things made it so they got close very quickly. But absolutely, they get help with, with business issues as, as well as, as personal issues. So just real quick, for business owners listening out there, like, hey, I want to try something like this. What are the results or the, um, I guess, yeah, what are, the, what are the results that you've seen from these experiences? You know, we do surveys to measure the impact of this work um, whenever we do this kind of work with, with any client. And 
you know, some of the stuff that we hear in the survey results, and I'm going to go to like some of the comments um, that, you know, they'll say things like, I've never felt this close to my coworkers. Or I'm becoming a better listener as a result of this work. And that's making me a more effective manager. Or having this opportunity has enabled me to find my voice so that I can be more outspoken in a way that I wasn't before because I was afraid to speak. Or it's enabled us as a company to have open dialogue and improve our relationships rather than having a culture of avoiding conversations. So those are just a sampling of some of the things I've heard from our surveys. Our, 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 yeah. One of the other things I was really interested in is just saying, you know, I, I used to do it only in person. And often as a remote company, I think about how maybe more effective we'd be, how less stressful we'd be if we were in person. You know, from, from upper management down to the lower levels, like you can say things maybe over a screen that you might not say in person, or you'd be able to create some clarity by body movements or just sensing the other person's vibe and kind of how, uh, I guess, their, their actual genuine approach to, to solving a problem. What have been kind of the, the, the uh, differences between an in-person uh, forum versus a, a virtual forum for, for you? Well, I will tell you first and foremost that I still prefer the in-person. I think the in-person creates a bigger connection. I think being in person, you know, the, the meetings are three to four hours and people just don't have the appetite for that on Zoom. Uh, and so having quality time together matters. Plus in person, you could go have a bite afterwards or a drink afterwards, not before, but after, right? Um, and so that provides for another opportunity for connection. And all of that is, is not to be minimized, but there is a huge opportunity that has come out of the, the Zoom economy, I'll call it. And that is, you know, you can have a meeting with seven people from seven different countries. I, you know, we've, we've had some meetings where we had somebody from Brazil with somebody from Dublin and somebody from Kenya and, and, and four people from San Francisco. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where now we have a, an ability to do things that we couldn't do before. And to be able to connect with people on the other side of the world is a, is a pretty powerful thing. Mo, well, you've, you've had the opportunity to meet with a lot of successful business owners. To you, what differentiates the good leaders from the great leaders? You know, there's one uh, person who's been a longtime friend and and just he's one, you know, I've, I've learned not to put people on the pedestal, but this guy I still put on the pedestal after all these years. So I mentioned uh, California Closet Company. And so when I started working at, at, at EO, um, Neil Balter was one of the family board members and, and he has just been an amazing leader every step of the way. And, you know, one of the things that I could tell you about him, just to give you a little, a little example. So a few years ago, he got cancer and he's fought it and beaten it and came back and he beat it again. And he's just amazing. But when you went to the hospital for chemotherapy, he got the names of all the nurses that were coming to check on him. And that night, he sent a letter to the president of the hospital. 
about how good all these nurses were. The next day, that letter was posted in the nurse's station because they were proud to have this letter that they could post in the nurse's station from this patient who was sitting right there. So do you think they took care of him? Right? But that's just one example. I could think of probably 20 examples of things this guy has done that are similar. And, you know, even when I was the executive director of EO and we had a tight budget in the very first couple of years and the board didn't approve a raise for me, he literally wrote me a check from his personal account. Here, Mo, you've earned this. Mm. And so he's always been real. And by real, I mean open, honest, vulnerable, didn't hide anything, spoke the truth, but he's always been compassionate. And even when he spoke the harsh truth, he did it in a way that it landed, not in a way that anybody felt attacked, but in a way that it landed. Mm. And he treats everybody like gold. It doesn't matter if you are the waiter at the restaurant or if you are an investor who's going to write the next $10 million check. He treats everybody like gold. And so I think of him as just one person that I've always admired in that regard. And, and we've become great friends uh, since then and as a result of all that. But uh, he's just, he's just he's an amazing guy. You know, those are some rare individuals. You just don't find those every day. I wish more people were like that, obviously. And I also yeah. envy, you know, the, the mentality and the, the little small acts of kindness that he's continued to put out into the world. You wrote a book on friendships. That's a friendship yeah. to me. You wrote a book on yeah. friendships, relationships. Walk me through what makes a good friendship and maybe those stages of the difference between a relationship and a good, solid friendship. I think that's uh, a great question and I appreciate it because first I have to tell you why I wrote the book. Um, so prior to writing this book, I would often hear very kind things like, my forum group is closer to me than my best friends. I've shared things with my forum group that I haven't shared with my own family. And to me, I was very gratified to hear those things. And at some point I thought, but that's not the point. The point is not for this group to replace your family or your best friends. The point is for this group to make you the best version of yourself so that you can be better with your friends, your family, your coworkers, and with yourself. And so I examined the DNA of what makes great forums great. And based on my now 30 plus years of working with peer groups, I distilled the seven things that I believe make the relationships in those peer groups really solid and really helpful. And so we took those things and said, okay, let's use that same DNA to say, here's the formula for creating meaningful friendships, whether it be at work or whether it be personal. So now I'll answer your question. Um, and in no particular order. One of them is mischievous fun. And so nobody else writes about mischievous fun. And I got to tell you, when I when I thought of that one, as I was writing the book, I giggled for, for a good five minutes because I thought, 
if you're being mischievous and having fun with somebody, they are a friend for sure. You don't do that with people that you're not feeling comfortable with. And when I work with forums, you know, on a retreat, for example, we do the very deep, meaningful, powerful work during the day. And then at night, they get to go have a drink and have fun. And so if you can't have fun with somebody and be yourself, are you really as connected as you should be? So that's one. The second one we touched on and I've alluded to, it's vulnerability. And so according to David Bradford from the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, vulnerability is the currency of relationships. And without vulnerability, relationships remain superficial. Strong, powerful. So I thought about all my friends and through that filter, who am I really close with? And who am I not? Mm. And it became very clear, like, I either need to invest more in this relationship or I just need to consider this relationship at a different level than the people that I consider my best, best friends. Mm. Um, and before I go on with some of the other things, you know, in writing the book, we did some research and it turns out that friends at work actually has some very powerful consequences for the company. So in one study, according to Gallup, if four out of 10 people say they have a friend at work, profitability goes up by 14%. And so this isn't just, you know, a uh, soft skills kind of thing that's a nice to do anymore. I think it matters, particularly in this day and age where people are having a tough time finding employees and keeping employees in this very tight job market. And so it behooves you as a CEO to want to have your employees be friends at work. And I will tell you, sometimes I get some pushback from a CEO saying, Ooh, if I'm friends with them, how am I going to fire them if they don't perform <laughs> or, or, or if we just don't have the money one, one day? And so that leads to another point in the book, which is what we call kind truth. So kind truth is kind of what I described about Neil Balter, of being able to tell you something that's difficult, but do it in a way that's going to land on you positively. And so I see the world based on my work in two different camps, people who are conflict avoidant and people who are bulls in the china shop. If you're conflict avoidant, you sweep it under the rug and you hope it's gonna go away, guess what? It may never go away. It may just fester and blow up and become a bigger issue. And if you're a bull in the china shop, it's very likely that you're just gonna berate somebody to the point where they quit, they stop listening, or you've just poisoned the relationship forever. And so kind truth is the art of how to say the difficult thing in a way that's gonna be effective for building the relationship to a stronger level. And so that's really an important piece. Sorry, I see you wanna say something. No, you're good. I was just gonna say, let's talk about that art real quick. Um, a lot of people listening to this are like, well, you know, I wanna bring this to, to my organization and they're gonna host their first meeting. They're gonna say, Mo, I'm Mr. Fun, and we're gonna have a fun conversation today. Um, be vulnerable with me. It's probably not gonna, it's gonna fall on deaf ears, it's not gonna work. How do you approach, what is that art uh, to get yeah. someone to, to really lower their guard? Well, I start with asking what they want always. And they often say, well, we wanna be better as a team. We wanna have a closer team. Uh, or in the survey in advance, they'll say we have some strained relationships. So it's never something that I'm imposing upon somebody 
it's something that's requested. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, you build up slowly. So yeah, we start with introductions. We start with what are you hoping to accomplish? We start with some ground rules. We start with agreeing up on confidentiality. Uh, then we have a conversation about vulnerability. And I ask, what does it mean to you all? And people have different definitions. Um, some people say it means loss of power, which it can, right? So that's not the kind of vulnerability we're, we're espousing here. If you're uh, a 15-year-old girl going to a party and somebody takes advantage of you, that's very bad vulnerability. So by all means, that's not what we mean. But we do talk about what it means to people. And they say, well, it means letting your guard down. Or it means sharing something you'd rather not share. Or it means sharing a weakness. Or saying that you messed something up at work. Uh, or asking for help. Um, so then we'll ask, well, why be vulnerable? What's the value? And somebody will say, well, it, it builds trust. I hear that every time, right? Um, and so once they understand the importance of why vulnerability matters, 99% of the time, people then become very open and willing to share. And they'll answer difficult questions that enable the group to get to know them, uh, that show their vulnerability. And then, and sometimes there are tears. I mean, this isn't easy stuff to talk about. We're not just pretending to be vulnerable. But afterwards, people always feel a greater sense of connection, a greater sense of belonging. They feel like they're part of a team. They feel like they've seen each other as human beings, not just as transactions to get work done. And that's pretty powerful. And I love how you preface that with, what do you want out of this meeting? Just to kind of meet them where they're at. Like, I, really, I really admire that. To you, Mo, when you go into these meetings, what are, do you have a common goal for each meeting? Like what you what you want to what you want them to get out of it? What is, what is the common objective when you go into these? You know, I could tell you the last three meetings have had three different objectives. I mean, one of them, there were four partners that were not getting along, and so my objective is for them to have a way to have a conversation to get through their differences. Um, another meeting recently was a forum group that just wanted to bring in a new member and get to know this new member and get deep and have meaningful connections so they could start to actually operate as a healthy group. Um, and sometimes it's more about, you know, we want to agree on our objectives. So it's always different um, in terms of, of the objectives. But for me, like, what do I care about? I care that I feel a sense of progress. From the beginning of the meeting to the end of the meeting, we had an objective, we accomplished it. And through that process, we relied upon some of the tools that help teams work more effectively together, whether it's difficult conversations, whether it's vulnerability, whether it's transparency, uh, so that's that's what I care about. Um, I care also to know that people are starting to see each other as human beings. To me, that's why I do the work. Mm. Yeah, it's like you're bringing you know humanity back to business through 
putting me- meaning to words and, and having these meaningful conversations. I think it's, you know, it's very admirable uh, for, for a business leader listening to this out here who are like, you know, that, that takes a special person or that kind of takes a special art to kind of master right now. Um, where can they find more information on your work and, and receive uh, your forum resources? Thank you for asking. So we have two websites, forumresourcesnetwork.com or mofatalbab.com. And I'm assuming the spelling of my name is going to be on the podcast, so I don't have to spell it here. It will be. You know, Mo, we're, we're serving a, a growing and emerging community of real leaders to inspire this unstoppable movement of impact leaders. Let's bring this home, Mo. What is your definition of a real leader? Mm. Well, I mean, listen, the word impact says it all, right? Um, I think in this modern world, it's not just about profits anymore. What are you doing to impact your employees as human beings? What are you doing to impact your community? What are you doing to impact your clients? Um, and in, 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 in doing all this and taking care of all these constituencies, as a leader, you're saying, hey, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing. We're not just looking at the bottom line and treating people badly along the way. We're going to do the right thing. For Mo Father Bob, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you out there, impact others. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Mel. Thank you. Awesome. Great being with you, Kevin. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.